Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. The Hall of Famer Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. Big night in college basketball. Mike drops by in about 30 minutes. Eric McLean was once the team captain of the Clemson Tigers. Former offensive lineman for Dabo Sweeney on some fantastic ACC championship and college football playoff teams. Nowadays, he works as an analyst for the ACC Network. It is, of course, Tigers versus Tigers next Monday night. Five days we must wait to see LSU go up against Clemson. The Tigers of Clemson are seeking their third national championship just in the last four years under that Dabo Sweeney guy that Eric McLean knows so well. Eric, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you. I want to steer you quickly to the NFL, and then, of course, we'll pick your college football brain, as we always do. Your old coach, Dabo Sweeney, once warned NFL teams, if you don't draft this Deshaun Watson guy really <laughs> high, you're going to regret it like those NBA teams that didn't pick Michael Jordan first or second. I don't know how much you watch your former teammate, Deshaun Watson, you know, at the pro level, but I thought his team was dead and buried down 16 to nothing in the playoffs late last week in this third quarter, I think it was. And then sure enough, there he is as the star with uh, Houston beating the Buffalo Bills in overtime. How do you put into words what makes Deshaun Watson special as he just added that to his long, impressive resume? Man, I tell you what, that, that young man had faced so much, uh, you know, adversity in his life, early in his life, and to be able to overcome, uh, you know, something like homelessness, with battling with his mom and, and cancer, and having to be the man of the house at a very young age, uh, you know, and I think that a, a small football game is, is no contest for him. You know, there, there's no, uh, you know, adversity that he cannot overcome on a football field, and I think that was clearly on display. Uh, he, he's such a special talent with his arms, with his legs, and really just how he prepares. I mean, he, he sees things uh, before they happen, and, and his anticipation as a quarterback, I think, is really what makes him so special and so different. Uh, you'd love to see the Houston Texans get some offensive line with a pulse because yeah. uh, he is going to be absolutely special if he can just stay up. I mean, I, I would love to see him you know, play till he's 40, but now I'm kind of worried if if he's going to make it to 28. <laughs> well, it's Texans at the Chiefs. He's going to have to be great again this weekend if Houston is going to advance. But, man, is he a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Eric McLean is joining us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eric McLean. Just as Deshaun Watson led his NFL team from a 16 to nothing def from a 16 to nothing deficit to a victory, your old Clemson Tigers were down 16 to nothing in the second half as well to those Ohio State Buckeyes. Eric, I am called corny sometimes when I say unless those players believe in Dabo Sweeney and each other and their coaches and the game plan, there's no way you come back from 16 nothing down in the second half. You lived that Clemson football culture. Am I exaggerating when I say that, or is there something to just the tight bonds there, players, coaches, and otherwise? Ohio State's not easy to beat even when you're 0-0, uh, but that was a 16 to nothing comeback to an amazing advancement to the championship game. What all goes into that from your point of view? Yeah, well, you know, I think it was nice of, of the Clemson Tigers to spot them 16 yeah. points and then yeah. start playing football. Uh, no, but I, I think you're exactly right. I think the belief that, that those guys have in each other, 
in the coaching staff and vice versa with the coaching staff believing in those players that, that they're never out of, of a contest. They're not never out of uh, contention to win a football game. Uh, you're down 16 points to the number two team in the country uh, who's running the ball at will, doing what they want uh, on offense. And, and for those guys to make the adjustments that they did to step up uh, and never, never lose belief in one another, uh, you know, was always on full display. Coach Sweeney said that, you know, we, we cut open our chest and showed you our heart tonight uh, with that comeback, what they were able to accomplish. Uh, there was one point where, you know, I believe Clemson outscored them 29-7 to to end the game uh, and, and really outgained them by about 230 yards uh, after that second quarter. So you really saw the, the, the better team stand up. Uh, you know, and I know there was some, some calls that, yeah. You know, might Ohio State fans wanted to go the other way, but at the end of the day, those calls had nothing to do with you not scoring in the red zone, scoring touchdowns in the red zone, going 0 for 3 there. Uh, and, and, again, if those calls stood or if they went the other way, now uh, there's this little thing called the butterfly effect where different outcomes, uh, you know, happen. And, and not to say that, you know, Clemson wouldn't have responded if that Ohio State touchdown on, on the, the catch fumble right. that was ruled incomplete would have happened. Eric McLean is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Did anything that you saw as LSU was not only winning but completely dominating Oklahoma, uh, and as the Tigers you know, had their hands full with the Buckeyes before winning that game, did it change in any way your perspective on this Tigers versus Tigers matchup on Monday night? And would you be allowed back in that town where Tiger Paws are on the highway on the way back to Clemson, South Carolina. Are you allowed back as a former player if you pick LSU to win on Monday night? <laughs> well, I think that uh, everyone expected that that absolute route uh, that, that LSU yeah. put on uh, to Oklahoma. I think that any of the three teams uh, ranked one, two, or three play Oklahoma. It's a very similar outcome. Uh, I think that's why you, you heard people – uh, wanting that number one spot, no, not only to avoid Clemson, uh, but to play Oklahoma. And, and not not saying that you're securing a spot because you still have to go out and execute, but uh, it was a little bit of a, a first-round bye vibes, I think. LSU totally dominating Oklahoma. Any, anything that they drew up, uh, you know, it, it worked to perfection, especially in that first half. Seemingly perfect first half of football from Joe Burrow. I, I don't think we've ever... Uh, seen a performance quite like that. Uh, but to answer your second question, uh, there, there's no chance in uh, Hades that I'm picking uh, the, the Bayou Bengals against the Clemson Tigers. <laughs> Eric McLean is joining us. Find his work at the ACC Network. Of course, he is on Twitter, at Eric McLean. I want to tap in because you were so recently participating in college football. See if you can help me with just how quickly these things have changed. As we speak... Both Jamie Newman of Wake Forest, star quarterback, and Anthony Brown of Boston College, who made a lot of strides with the Eagles, they're both in Atlanta at a kind of a quarterback's camp that I have never heard before. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have heard of this, you know, what, what did it exist like a decade ago or two decades ago? The long story short, I mean, I'm aware of like the, the Manning Academy and other passing academies. I get all that. But what Jamie Newman is doing in Atlanta, what Anthony Brown of BC is doing in Atlanta, they're actually working with a quarterback's guru who not only teaches them the usual technique and stuff that you would think about, 
but they're actually studying Oregon's offense and Georgia's offense and Washington's offense, Miami and Maryland. Whoever are chasing Jamie Newman and Anthony Brown as grad transfer quarterbacks for their final year of eligibility, I, I mean, I know recruiting is intense and sometimes complex. Have you ever heard of anything that deep-rooted? Because that sounds like almost a professional-level decision about what, of course, is a big decision for both, especially Jamie Newman, who's viewed as an NFL prospect at the quarterback position. Man, I tell you what, it's it's a very interesting thing to look at. Number one, the legalities of the whole thing. When you talk about what's allowed, that this whole recruiting trail thing, were they getting you know reached out to before yeah. they announced that they were trained? It, it's such almost a free agent feel right now that it, it's. I don't know. It's a little unsettling that you don't want the the market to get to where it's going, but it, it seems like it's all steam ahead. And obviously these two quarterbacks are, are, are going to do fantastic wherever they end up going. I think Jamie Newman is, uh, you know, one of the, the most explosive players. You see how he uh, is able to throw the football, use his legs. I uh, think he's going to be a great fit wherever he decides to go. And, and obviously with Jake Fromm announcing he's going to the NFL uh, and we all know Justin Herbert, same thing. Oregon and Georgia have to be uh, keeping a close eye on this guy. So I think to answer your question, no, I, I did not know that something like that existed. Obviously, like you said, uh, the, the Manning Academy and, and different things. Elite 11 does some uh, stuff where those guys are counselors. and I know they get some good work in while they're there. Uh, but something of this nature is a little bit new to me. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward. Is this a trend or is this something that, you know, might be shut down after it's, you know, completed this year. I'm going to read you a quick quote from Jamie Newman. He talked to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic in an article I saw earlier today. I hadn't seen Jamie address, you know, what really jolted a lot of people uh, in the Wake Forest football program. You know, you're the way some view it there. Hey, we helped Jamie Newman become relevant, right? Like we redshirted him, you know, we we waited three or four years for him to blossom and we helped him blossom, et cetera. But here's his quote. Everybody wanted to know why he's leaving. And my initial guess, Eric was, Hey, Oregon can offer a bigger stage, you know, a possible Avenue to a college football playoff or conference championship. If you're wake, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine those things when you're in the same division as Clemson. But Jamie elaborated on it, and he said this, among other things. The RPO game at Wake is cool, but it's only a little bit of what the NFL wants. And I think I need to work more on the NFL pro concepts and being able to check protections and stuff like that. I do think most of my teammates understood my decision. They knew it was a business decision, and they wanted me to do what I needed to do. I feel like it's one slap in the face that you leave Wake, and it's a double slap if you say their offense is not preparing me for the NFL. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you make of all that? Is this just a young man making a smart business decision, or is there something distasteful about the whole thing? Yeah, you know that I had not read that article or, or heard that quote yet, but that that's exactly why I thought he was leaving. Number one, okay. for a bigger stage. Number two, to to be in an offense that is more uh, pro typical. Because uh, again, with you know, I know the RPO is coming in the NFL, and and guys are are exploiting it and, and experimenting and running it a lot more. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, getting under center every now and again, being able to change protections, identify coverages, uh, that's something that is going to separate you when you get to the next level. So I, I think at the 
it is a little bit of a slap in the face, and you hate to see that or read that. But this this world of college football is so much a business now. You know, I'll never you know be upset or, or irritated with yeah. a student athlete making the best decision for himself, his family, uh, ultimately putting him in a better situation moving forward. Uh, you know, in his opinion, and, and if that's the case, which you know that's very interesting that he was able to identify that. Uh, you know, all the best to him. But I, I think you're right. I think it is kind of a oh man, we we developed you, we waited on you, we we kind of made you into what you are. Uh, now you're leaving us high and dry. That that does kind of stink to be a, a Wake Forest fan and and alumni staff, et cetera. Eric McLean, ACC Network on Twitter at Eric McLean. Good luck to your Tigers. I hope you get to enjoy the game in one capacity or another as you are also asked to be an objective expert on all the same. Hey, I'll call it out see you, man. That's it. Way to do I it. We, we love that about you. Eric McLean of the ACC Network. Five more days we all wait before Clemson and LSU in the Battle of the Tigers determine this year's national champion. 1-800-849-2761. It will be a last call for phone calls on the other side because we have yet another great guest. Mike DeCourcy, the Hall of Famer from the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network, will drop by. UNC is struggling as it hosts Pitt tonight. NC State is trying to bounce back from an ugly loss at Clemson as the Wolfpack hosts Notre Dame again tonight. Wake has a couple of really nice wins in its rearview mirror. Non-conference against Xavier and then on the road at Pitt in conference play. The Deeks host number 10 in the polls, Florida State also tonight those three games on North Carolina soil are supplemented by Duke's trip to Georgia Tech the number two Blue Devils are the only team in the nation that are playing at a top five efficiency level on both offense and defense right now 13 and one Duke three and zero in conference play as they head to Atlanta to take on the Yellow Jackets in the late game tonight. We'll talk all things college basketball. Roy Williams said out loud recently what many fans and media outside the Carolina basketball program have been saying for the last month or so. Roy said this is, quote, his least gifted team in his 17 years as the head coach of the Tar Heels. Would Mike DeCourcy use a similar label? We'll find out next on The David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mike DeCourcy, the Hall of Famer from the Sporting News, joins us in about 10 minutes or so. It's the last call for your phone calls on college hoops, the NFL. Matt Rule is the new head coach of your Panthers. The question of the day, looking forward to this weekend's NFL playoff action, what team, coach, or player will be under the most scrutiny this weekend and why? My gold medal answer is Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Why? One year ago in his playoff debut, he was absolutely horrendous. 0.0 quarterback rating in the first half. Turnovers galore, fumbles, some of which he lost. The Ravens ended up losing to the Chargers in that first playoff game of Lamar Jackson's professional career. He's a lot better version of himself, but he still has to win as the Ravens host the Titans. Otherwise, the skeptics and the critics will come out of the woodwork. Similarly, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, sixth all-time in the NFL coaching wins list, but with only one Super Bowl trip to his credit and zero Super Bowl titles to his credit, 
That's scrutiny of a different kind for the head coach who will be roaming the sidelines in Kansas City as the Chiefs host the Texans. He has been a head coach for 21 seasons. He has had only three losing campaigns. That is Belichickian almost. He's had 15 playoff teams in his 21 years as an NFL head coach between Philly and KC. Andy Reid, number six on the all-time wins list, 61 years old. How much longer will he do this? We don't know. He is under scrutiny of a different kind because the Chiefs are at home. The Chiefs are favored over the Texans. He's supposed to win. He might get the benefit of the doubt if he lost to the Ravens next weekend. He's supposed to win as that caliber coach as Kansas City hosts Houston and Lamar Jackson's new and improved version of himself. He's supposed to win as Baltimore hosts Tennessee on Saturday night. What team, coach, or player will be under the most scrutiny this weekend in the NFL playoffs and why? You can chime in on that. A caller earlier today, allowing for your college basketball contribution as well, said that he saw some kind of flack Roy Williams was getting. I haven't seen it. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's not. But Roy Williams of UNC did say out loud this weekend and even in the aftermath what many fans and media outside the Carolina basketball program have been saying for the last month or so about these Tar Heels. Roy said this is the, quote, least gifted team he has had in his 17 years as the Tar Heels head coach. Now, you can tell me if you think it's smart to say that out loud, dumb to say that out loud, inappropriate to whatever. You can describe it as blaming your players. I see it as more being transparent, being candid, being blunt, and telling the truth. And the truth hurts sometimes. And from the Carolina basketball fans' perspective, yeah, it hurts. This truth hurts. But I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he deserves flack for saying what he said. And I think at the essence, in the caller, I specifically asked because I wasn't sure where he was going, don't you agree that this is the least gifted team of the 17 Roy Williams has had as a head coach at Carolina? Or I'd say go all the way back. I didn't see his first year at Kansas, but Roy Williams has made 29 of the last 30 NCAA tournaments, okay? The one exception being 10 years ago with a young Carolina team that was kind of a rudderless ship without a point guard. Actually had a little bit of talent on that team. I'd argue more more 10 years ago when the Heels ended up in the NIT than this current version of the Tar Heels, which is 8-6 and six, as they host Pitt tonight at the Smith Center. Again, NC State hosting Notre Dame, Wake hosting Florida State, Duke visiting Georgia Tech. The other ACC matchups of note tonight. UNCG hosts East Tennessee State tonight. If you haven't seen Wes Miller's team or his star point guard, Isaiah Miller, great chance to see them against one of the other best teams in the Southern Conference. East Tennessee State University has a great player named Bo Hodges. He's kind of like a an undersized mid-major power forward type only about 6'5", really good player. Isaiah Miller, one of the best players in our state outside the ACC for the Spartans tonight. One more to watch beyond ACC country. But Roy Williams' words, I believe, are true. Here's just one example for you. Cole Anthony, we all know, was a prep All-American and we all know is going to be a high first-round NBA draft pick, okay? If you just use that threshold, it's not perfect. Not all prep All-Americans turn out great, right? And not all lottery picks turn out great. But as a reflection of talent, or to use Roy Williams' phrase, gifted, as a reflection of such things, when the Tar Heels won it all in 2017, most recently, the third of Roy's three championships in Chapel Hill, do you know how many, I'll call them, top 25 high school recruits those Tar Heels had? Five. 
Do you know how many are healthy that fit that description for the Tar Heels right now? One. His name is Armando Baycott. Like many big men, he needs some time. Vernon Carey Jr. of Duke is the exception among freshman big man men. He's going to be an NBA lottery pick, and he's already great. Most other big men need a little while. Armando is going to get paid to play basketball someday. He's just not ready to be a star as a freshman. But putting that aside for now, how many top 25 high school prospects did Roy Williams have on his roster when he won it all in 2017? Answer five. How many does he have healthy right now? Answer one. That's not a slight difference. There's a middling or lower tier ACC team that might have one healthy prep All-American, okay? What makes Duke and Carolina or Kansas or Kentucky and others different most years is that they got a whole bunch. Bobby Kremens used to say of Dean Smith's Carolina teams, Dean's got like a Noah's Ark. He's got two of everything, right? Two All-American centers, two All-American point guards, two All-American winning players. Roy Williams has the island of misfit toys compared to Dean Smith's Noah's Ark, or even Roy Williams at times has had two of everything, as Bobby Kremens used to say. In 2017, Roy Williams' roster included Justin Jackson, Prep All-American, Joel Berry, Prep All-American, Isaiah Hicks, Prep All-American, Tony Bradley, Prep All-American, Theo Pinson, Prep All-American. Five top 25 high school seniors, and Roy turns it into a national championship. All right, if you don't trust recruiting rankings, and yeah, they're right much of the time, wrong occasionally, how many future NBA players? Look at Carolina's roster right now and tell me how many future NBA players you see. Obviously, Cole Anthony, again, he's not available, so you can put an asterisk next to him if you want. Two, when he's healthy. Armando Baycott, I think, will play in the NBA someday with continued growth, not as a one-and-done in all likelihood. But glass half full, Cole Anthony, of course, Armando Baycott probably. As much as I love Garrison Brooks as a college player, he's probably not going to stick on an NBA roster. He'll make nice money as a pro basketball player somewhere. Maybe he makes the NBA. Theo Pinson has stuck longer than I would have guessed. So maybe I'll be wrong about Garrison Brooks. Again, I love him as a college basketball player. I just don't view him as somebody that NBA scouts are tripping over to think about picking, say, in the first round. Do you know how many first-round draft picks? Or I'll just say NBA players. How many did Roy have in 2017 when he won it all? He had four NBA players, and he had three more college stars. Guys who didn't quite make the NBA, but man, were they good at the college level. What were those names? Justin Jackson, of course, NBAer. Isaiah Hicks and Tony Bradley both made the NBA. Theo Pinson is still in the NBA as well. Beyond those four future NBA players that Roy Williams led to the NCAA title in 2017, didn't even mention Joel Berry, Kennedy Meeks, and Luke May. You want to talk about great college basketball players? Whether measured by prep All-Americans, top 25 high school seniors, future NBA draft picks, future NBA players, these are not shades of gray, folks. When Roy Williams had loaded rosters by those standards in 2005, 2009, and 2017, he not only won, he won big. You can't win any bigger than cutting down those nets.
three-time national champion. He cashed in his chips with loaded rosters. Now, there were other really good rosters where he came up short, but the point is the three-time he reached the top of the mountain, he was loaded by prep standards. He was loaded by future NBA standards. And this team has won two when Cole Anthony is healthy. And the Armando Baycott one, again, needs a while to keep growing. If you lined up all 17 of UNC's teams under Roy Williams as the head coach, and again, I think you could include almost all of his Kansas teams in this as well. I think his comment, least gifted, was strictly on his 17 teams at Carolina. He might say it about his entire head coaching tenure, counting the Kansas Jayhawks in all those years. These are not slight differences. These are not slight whether measured by recruiting status, future NBA status, draft status, or any of the above. When Cole Anthony is healthy, the Tar Heels beat Oregon, one of the 10 best teams in the country or so, and beat Alabama and had another nice win. Without Cole Anthony, they lost at home to Wofford, and they just lost at home to Georgia Tech. These things are entirely related, folks. Even when Cole Anthony is healthy, this Carolina team is a nice team. Not a great team. Great teams have more talent by all of those measuring sticks. The Heels' ceiling is to become a good team when Cole Anthony returns from his injury. That's it. It would take a miracle to make a run at the top of the ACC standings in the regular season or at an Elite Eight or a Final Four. Even the greatest coaches, when Mike Krzyzewski had a shorthanded roster, guess what? He missed the NCAA tournament that year in the mid-1990s. It can happen to the best of them. Even the greatest coaches need better raw material. You can debate, and I'll take your input, on whether what Roy Williams said was appropriate. Should he have said out loud what he was thinking inside? Does it help by taking some pressure off the players? Is he right just for being so candid and honest about things? I mean, some of you are criticizing him because you, you believe he's somehow throwing his team under the bus. My starting point is the guy's absolutely positively right. It's not even close. This is the least gifted team he's ever had. Do you know who was on the team that ended up missing the NCAA tournament 10 years ago? I know Larry Drew was the middling point guard, and by Carolina standards, you know, Phil Ford's school, Joel Berry's school, Marcus Page's school, Ray Felton's school, Ty Lawson's school. Those are a lot of really good point guards, and I'm not even naming all of them. When Roy Williams missed the NCAA tournament a decade ago, maybe the other candidate, I guess, for least gifted, if you really wanted to pick and choose over 17 different Carolina teams, on a team that ended up in the NIT he had six future NBA players. Ed Davis was hurt that year, and that contributed to the Heels missing the NCAA tournament. But that's a heck of a young guy who was a sophomore that season. Tyler Zeller was on that team. John Henson was on that team. The Ware brothers were middling college basketball players, but they technically ended up with a cup of coffee in the NBA. It's not even close. This is the least gifted team of the last three decades of Roy Williams as a head coach. Where do they go from here? They're not going to throw in the towel. They're not going to wave the white flag. But I think that part of the debate is over. It is the least gifted team. As long as Cole Anthony is in street clothes, it's absolutely positively not even close by a 1,000 miles, the least gifted team. Even after he returns, folks, 
how many Carolina teams have you ever seen that have only two top 25 high school prospects on the roster and only two at most future NBA players on the roster? There aren't any answers to those questions. There certainly aren't many, even if you go all the way back into the archives, over 50 years of Carolina basketball. Roy Williams was absolutely positively right that this is the least gifted team he's ever had as the Tar Heels head coach. That doesn't mean you just sag to the bottom of the ACC standings. You still have Garrison Brooks. You will soon have Cole Anthony. You have the evolving Armando Baycott. You have a senior guard in Brandon Robinson. You have a hard-working transfer in Justin Pierce. You have some pieces, but these pieces, folks, overall pale in comparison to what we usually see playing basketball at the Smith Center in Chapel Hill. Pitt at UNC tonight. State hosts Notre Dame tonight. Wake hosts Florida State tonight. And Duke travels to Georgia Tech tonight. All of those games televised, of course, along with Davidson at Rhode Island, East Tennessee State at UNC Greensboro in a battle of two of the best teams in the Southern Conference. On the other side, the Hall of Famer Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News We'll talk about UNC's struggles. We'll talk about the number two Blue Devils. And we'll talk about the ACC's depth, if there is any, behind Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and UVA. There are going to be more at-large berths for a league that has averaged eight NCAA tournament bids over these last four years. Good luck figuring out who they might be. Mike DeCourcy usually knows things ahead of time with his masterful crystal ball. He joins us next on The David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music for right. that? That's right. That's Bat Medler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our fourth and final guest of the afternoon is a Hall of Famer from the Sporting News. We love his coverage of college basketball and many other things. Our teams are in action. Duke at Georgia Tech, Wake hosting Florida State, State hosting Notre Dame, Carolina hosting Pitt. It's good news for the Devils at 13-1. They're the only top five team in the nation in both offensive and defensive efficiency, so Coach K has another contender for all the right things on his hands. Wake State and Carolina fit in that middle muck of the ACC where after maybe the top four, nobody is sure what to expect. That's one of the reasons we turn to Mike DeCourcy as we welcome him back to the David Glenn Show. Roy Williams recently described these Tar Heels, Mike, as the, quote, least gifted team he has had in his 17 years as the Tar Heels head coach. In your experience, is it okay when coaches say such candid things out loud rather than just thinking them? And in your experience, is Roy Williams right that the, he, this is the most, the least gifted group in those 17 years. Why well, he's definitely right. Look who's been there in those 17 years. Right. Uh, even on the 2010 team that didn't make the show, uh, that team had Ed Davis and and Zeller, and uh, they they had guys who would go on to play in the NBA. John that team has Cole Anthony, but he's not playing. So right. I, I do wonder whether that would have, uh, whether that would have come up with Roy if if Cole were active. And I also wonder if there would have been an occasion to talk about it. And I'm sure that they were, or even with Cole, 
would lose more games than a typical Carolina team would. But they were playing pretty well before he got hurt. They, had, they, they, were, they were very competitive down in the Bahamas. Uh, they beat some good teams. And so I, I think his injury really exacerbated the dearth of talent on the team. You've gotten to know Roy pretty well over the years. What did you make of just the inconsolable nature of his comments after that home loss to Georgia Tech, uh, saying that you know there were times he didn't think his own players were listening to him. It's one thing to have a talent deficit compared to what you're used to, right? And then the injury you know, complicates things further, obviously. But, but it's another thing to say I've never felt lower about, how, about one of my teams, period. What do you make of sort of, you know, most, most coaches you know well probably tell you stuff privately that is far more probative than whatever they say at their press conferences. <laughs> and it sounds like Roy Williams is just thinking out loud. Yeah, there, you know, you asked me before about how I feel about that. I'm a journalist, so, I mean, we love candor. Amen. And, 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 you know, I will say that there are times when it's bothersome that someone becomes candid and then you have others come in and say, well, how dare he be candid? I mean, right. uh, I, so I, you'll never hear me criticize a coach for being candid. I, I, you know, I think that one thing I would say is that if he feels that they're talent uh, deficient, okay, if they are not listening, then why is he playing the guys who are playing? I mean, if, if, if you're talent deficient with the guys on the floor, play the guys who aren't on the floor. Because how much worse could they be? I, that part I never understand. Uh, if you think that, uh, that eventually those players can get there, maybe. But a lot of the guys that are getting a lot of minutes are not young kids. Uh, so, I mean, if, if, you're get, if you're not getting cooperation from guys, then you've got, to, you've got the one the one method of discipline that rules above all others is you're not playing. I mean, not all the other stuff is decoration compared to that one. So if he doesn't feel they're listening, then he should go to that. If he's just frustrated and things like that are, are you know, are maybe just uh, more a manifestation of his disappointment than they are actual reality, then I can understand uh, why he would continue to play the guys he is. Mike DeCourcy is with us. Follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. His work, of course, at SportingNews.com. Catch him on the Big Ten Network from time to time. And if I remember correctly, he recently was asked to start playing a bracketologist. He's been in that role many times in the past. But for Fox Sports, you can check out Mike DeCourcy, bracketologist, from time to time as well. With that part in mind... How, I know it's only January 8th, but the Tar Heels just lost at home to Georgia Tech. They have Pitt tonight. They get Clemson, who have never won in Chapel Hill in men's basketball, in the Smith Center this coming weekend, and there's some nervous people about that. Cole Anthony is expected back by the end of this month. Roy Williams has made 29 of the last 30 NCAA tournaments with Kansas and UNC. Is it too early to think in bubble terms since Cole Anthony is expected to return, or just how do you paint that picture here in early January? There is no such thing as a bubble, even for a bracketologist. I mean, there there may be you might I might have a uh, a list of teams that are in or out or close or whatever, but I don't believe there's such a thing as a bubble because that's a you know that to me that's a, that's a even though it's not real, it, there's a there's a weight to that and. You know whether or not I have Purdue in the tournament, say, uh, isn't it, it is not consequential in mid-January. Right. But when we get to mid-February, third week of February, something like that, and Purdue is on that 
you know, on that borderline for last four in, first four out or whatever, you know, then they start to feel it and they know that there are consequences to every game they play. And so I, for Carolina, I, I think there's consequence to every game they play because if they can just try to keep it above water and then Cole comes in and changes them back to some, you know, some approximation or, or the whole of what they were before his absence, and then they at least maybe have a chance. And you know, and and if you get in there, and again, I mean, like I said, they were not bad. I mean, yeah. what you're seeing now is clearly not what we've come to expect from Carolina. I mean, when I was doing the first bracket, and I can't remember which team it was now, but I was looking at their team sheet, and they had beaten Carolina. So one of the teams, maybe it was Michigan or whoever. And I looked at their team sheet, and there's Carolina as a quad three win. I mean, I almost fell off the bed. I mean, when, right. what universe would we have ever thought that would be possible? Yeah. You, you know, playing, playing, playing Carolina in Roy's game room, you'd think would be a quad <laughs> one game. <laughs> so, so it, you know, I, I think it really comes down to you know, Pitt is a game that, you know, if, if Wake can go into Pitt and win – then you have to feel like you have a shot at them, even even diminished. You have a shot at them at home. Clemson, you know, like you said, fifty years or whatever. Uh, you have to feel like you have a shot at them at home, and those are the kinds of games you have to win if you want to be in a position where, when Cole returns, it becomes about something more than just can we win four in the ACC tournament and, and steal the automatic bid. There are, of course, other really good teams in college basketball. Kansas, Michigan State, Ohio State, Butler, Maryland, uh, Louisville, Dayton, Baylor, Gonzaga, and others. Duke is the only team in the country, top five in offensive efficiency, top five in defensive efficiency. As they head to Georgia Tech tonight, uh, they do have an injury to deal with with Wendell Moore Jr. injured, but he'll be out for a, a relatively short time, supposedly. Do they start your pecking order when you're projecting forward not only what the Devils have done at 13-1, and one, but uh, I get, there's room for growth for guys like Cassius Stanley and Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore when he gets injury, uh, uh, when he gets healthy again to go with Trey Jones and Vernon Carey who are already uh, playing at a very high level? What's interesting about where Duke is, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot, those of us who follow and analyze the game, about the fact that they're – and I think we, you and I have talked about the fact that there's no dominant team and all that. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I really think by the time we get to March, Duke is going to look like one. And I don't know that they'll necessarily be one, but I think you're going to look at their record and you're going to say, wow. Yeah. Because the ACC, I mean, I don't think I'm being, I don't think I'm being unfair or, or whatever to say this is as bad as it's been and that I can remember. I mean, there's just the strength is just not there, and part of that is what happened to Cole, and you know, part of it, to Syracuse losing two guys to the NBA, or excuse me, to the to the NBA draft in which they were not selected, right. uh, and 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 all that sort of stuff, and and you look at the at this, and I was looking at the road games for for Duke, okay, now, I mean, the ACC road in the past was like, holy cow, strap it in, you know, and now, okay, you're going to Georgia Tech, Clemson. Syracuse, Boston College, North Carolina, Cole may be back, so that may change the chemistry on that. Then State and Wake and Virginia. And tell me which one of those games are supposed to really sweat. Right. I mean, you know, a year ago they went to Virginia Tech and 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 got beaten with Zion and RJ on the floor. I look at those, and I'm not saying they can't lose any of them, or maybe even lose many of them. 
but I don't see any of them that strike fear into you. you know, like if they had to go to Florida State, maybe, you know, with their yeah. history down there and with the, the difficulty of playing against the Seminoles, maybe that'd be one, but they don't have to. So I, I, I think we're going to get to March and Duke is going to look dominant and maybe they'll convince themselves of that and they'll play like it. The consensus right now is that the ACC, which has averaged eight NCAA tournament bids over these last four seasons, really has only four teams that you'd feel safe saying, yeah, they're pr- things will be okay. Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and although they lost last night, the Virginia Cavaliers. After those four, Mike, in which team do you have the most confidence? After Duke, Florida State, Louisville, and UVA, you know – of course, this league's not going to get only four bids, but who who looks like the best candidate to be ACC number five or six? Well, I had I had State in my bracket uh, the first time around, on, published on on Monday, and and of course that's you know that is the first pass, and I think they might have dropped a game after uh, I put them in there. I can't remember now. Uh, but, you know, I, I, they have one of the best offenses in college basketball. Yeah. They're not defending at a very successful level right now. If they can at least improve a little bit in that department, then perhaps they can get themselves into a, a more solid position. But, it, it, you know, again, there's not a lot of quality win opportunities, so you got to win. I mean, you can't you, – like Penn State in, in 2018, like the Big Ten got – I think they got four, maybe five. And that year – uh, Penn State was nine and nine with some good out of conference wins and some good quality wins in the league, but they were nine and nine in a yeah. league that wasn't very good. Yeah. And Nebraska was thirteen and five that year in the league and didn't get in. Mm. Uh, so, so if you're if you're NC State, man, uh, you got to put up some numbers uh, because the quality wins, unless you go and beat Duke uh, and you know and or uh, Louisville or whoever you know the the those those teams, Virginia, Florida State, unless you get them. Uh, you've got to really stack some wins because the quality isn't there. His name is Mike DeCourcy. Follow him on Twitter at TSN. Mike, find those bracketology projections at Fox Sports. Find all of his Hall of Fame caliber work at SportingNews.com and catch him on the big screen from time to time for the Big Ten Network. Thanks for the time and the expertise as always, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks, David. Always a pleasure. You got it. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch. Next. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Special thanks to all of our great guests. Kent Briggs, formerly of Western Carolina and NC State, and the state champion at Cherokee High School. Great insight on his former assistant, Matt Rule, now the leader of your Carolina Panthers. Will Brinson on the NFL, Eric McLean on college football, Mike DeCourcy on college hoops. The latter leads your sports TV menu. You can watch the Hornets host the Toronto Raptors tonight, 7 o'clock or so tip at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte. A lot of college hoops to go with some NBA. Pitt is at UNC. Notre Dame is at NC State, both 7 o'clock starts. Florida State is at Wake Forest, a 7.30 start. 
resume builders for the Wolfpack, the Deacons, and to a degree the Tar Heels. Two of the three just need to get the bad taste of a weekend loss out of their mouth. Duke is at Georgia Tech tonight. That's your late game, 9 o'clock on the ACC Network. Your NBA options, Nuggets at Mavericks and then Bucks at Warriors, both on ESPN. A little hockey as well. Watched the Canes beat the Flyers last night at PNC Arena. The Canes are back in action, remember, Friday and Saturday night to complete this seven-game homestand. They are off tonight. Hats off to Justin Williams, back as a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. Capitals Flyers leads your NHL TV options this evening. Thanks for being with us today. We hope to see you tomorrow right here on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.